Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Focused on Forward. Today, I have the honor of my guest being Michael Bryan. Michael has got a very challenging story of of life and what has been dealt to him, but also uh, inspiring because of the way that he's gone about it. And so we're anxious to hear all the things that Michael has to tell us about. It's interesting to note for you guys, too, uh, that Michael is an author. He's writing a book right now, and I think that uh, it'll help a lot of you. Uh, Right now, the working title of that is Introverts in the Spotlight. Now, of course, between the time of this interview and when it is published, uh, that that uh, book title may in fact change. So uh, if we have the updated title at the time of this release, we'll make sure to share that that uh, new new and published title uh, at the time of that. So, Michael, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for being a part of our show. My pleasure, Tim. It's great. uh, It's great to come on. Excellent. So. If you're ready, uh, we're all eager to hear your story and just jump right in and tell us all about Michael Bryan. It all started off when I was very little because I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. That was the first condition that, that I was diagnosed with. And for those of you that don't know, it's a lung condition that also affects my digestive system as well. So it means routine chest infections, back and to to the hospital. I spent my first Christmas in hospital, that kind of thing. That was my initial start, Um, which meant, you know, that there's a lot that goes into it when you've got certain things that you have to do every morning and then certain things that you have to do every evening. So from very early on, I had to learn things like morning routines, evening routines, I had to keep active. That was one of the main things that the consultants and the nurses and the doctors told my parents. They said, you need to know as much about this condition as me, meaning the consultant. So it wasn't as widely researched as what it is now. And, you know, people weren't, people weren't getting very far, i.e. if it wasn't found out early enough, the babies never never made it to like your second birthday. So it wasn't, it wasn't something that anyone had high hopes for me, if that makes sense. There was not a lot of expectations put on me when I was younger. Um, I wasn't pushed to, you know, get a good job or any of those things. It was a very big sense of let me do what I want to do. So basically uh, if let Michael do what he can. He can. He has cystic fibrosis. He just whatever he can get done is done. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of expectations in terms of like schooling or getting work or any of that sort of stuff because you know the the, the sort of the idea that I would last very long at the time didn't really cross anyone's mind. So I wasn't forced to do things. 
there was none of that when I was younger. I was forced to keep active. So I would run in, I do a lot of running, play a lot of sports, martial arts, all those sorts of things that kids generally do. Um, initially, it was for treatment. It was for keeping the condition at bay. Uh, that, that grew into a profession. So I became a personal trainer when I was old enough. Um, I was also a tennis coach. I played basketball for university. All the things that I got reasonably good at started off as he needs to do this. And then because of that sort of commitment, if you will, I was then able to take that and, and use it and do something more productive with it. Okay. So it turned in from a, a have to do it to a want to do it to a I like to do it. Yeah. And that, that's something that, that I think not many people have the opportunity to get. Not many people have that. Some people are pushed into things. Some people are sort of convinced of a certain path being the best path. Um, but that wasn't really forced upon me. And I, I never remember being forced to get a job or forced to do something. Um, which, you know, it, it has pros and cons like anything else. But one of the things that really stood out for me was because I led with what I wanted to do and what my desire was, I realized when I was 16 that helping people made me feel good. So when I first started sort of tennis coaching, I'd feel great when I would help the younger kids get better at tennis. And that spurred me on to be a tennis coach. Then when I was at university studying coaching, that was the only thing I really knew what to do was, was coaching and helping people. That was it. I didn't really have much else. Then I realized when I was doing my degree that if I did fitness and tennis, I can help them in a bigger way. If you imagine working with tennis players and getting them physically fitter and stronger, as well as the tennis in my mind, I thought, wouldn't it be great if I could do both? That'd be amazing. You know, how much better would I be able to make these, these tennis players, these kids or these teenagers, if I could do both? So that was, that's my motivation. That's been the thing that's driven me for most of my life. Well, that's kind of cool because, yeah, that gives, gave you a sense of purpose and a, a sense of direction then, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, in, in a world where I never really, I never really thought I had one, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to be said for, you know, very little expectations. I had like, you know, I was someone that had health conditions. I was someone that was technically disabled, you know, as someone that could be classed as disabled if I got that bad. And that, that was something that, I had to break free from, I guess. And yeah, it, it does give you a massive sense of purpose. And it's easy for me to feel fulfilled at the end of the day, if all I've got to do is help people, you know, it's an easy sort of, it's an easy button to press, especially in, in this day and age. So yeah, it, it's interesting when I have this conversation with people around, you know, trying to be happy is probably our mission if you will and when i don't have society's way thrust upon me 
Um, it's amazing what can happen when you don't have that. You know, when you have the conversation around what's left after that, there's, right. there's a lot of open space that, that you can fill with whatever it is that you want. Yeah, absolutely. So you also mentioned that you were, so on top of CF, on top of cystic fibrosis, there's also, you also deal with diabetes. Uh, being diabetic, are you type one or are you type it's two? actually because of the, C, the cystic fibrosis. So when I have this conversation with people, they don't realize there's three types. Um, <laughs> so you've well, got, you can count me in that list then. Yeah, it, it's not um, well known. It's not publicly well known because cystic fibrosis isn't. It's not like cancer, right? It's very sort of niche, if you will. Um, sure. Yeah, it's got a, a much smaller percentage of the population who are affected by cystic fibrosis than are not, yeah. or or who are affected by other uh, genetic issues. Exactly right. So, so type one is the pancreas itself. If I've got the organ right, my that I think it is the pancreas, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, it, it's it's the pancreas that doesn't work as effectively by itself. Right, so that's your organs struggling, if you will. Um, then you've got type one, which is like fat builds up around the outside, generally due to, due to diet, and that can cause complications when releasing insulin. Then you've got type three, which is the way I sort of try to describe it now, which is cystic fibrosis related. Now, because of the condition itself causes mucus to build up around the body, not just in the lungs, it builds up everywhere. When the mucus builds up inside the pancreas, that's what stops the insulin from releasing into the bloodstream. Does that make sense? So you've got the yeah. So the mucus is clogging the pancreas, not allowing it to function and flow like it normally would. Yeah, exactly right. So this the, the problem with this, of course, is <clears throat> this happened when I was a personal trainer. This happened when I was a tennis coach. This happened when I was probably at my fittest. Um, I was diagnosed with this. So as you can imagine, my diet was okay. wasn't impeccable. But when you're exercising all the time, you've got to eat your calories somehow. And Right. Yeah. And if you're exercising that much and working out that much and doing all the things you were doing, sliding in a little, you know, uh, a McDonald's cheeseburger every now and then isn't going to be as dangerous for you, perhaps, as it may be for, you know, the, uh, shall we say, more robust fellows. Yeah, there's a real sense of like, you know, if I eat reasonably well six days a week and then I have like one day where it's a bit of a blowout, that doesn't really touch the sides in terms of how I feel, how I look, or even goes on on the inside. So there was that. Now, the problem with it, of course, is cystic fibrosis is actually what's known as a degenerative disease, meaning it gets worse over time. So this is why people that are in their sort of late teens, early 20s are sort of more likely to get this because it builds up over time. What you're born with isn't what you'll get when you're 20. It does get worse. And when I realized this, obviously, I worked harder to try to counteract everything. And I didn't really believe it at first. So when I did my tests, I came back diabetic and I said to them, can I change my diet and see if that makes a difference? And I changed my lifestyle and see if that would change anything. 
Um, they said, yeah, we'll give you another shot. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. Did all the tests again, came back diabetic. And then that's when it really sort of hit home for me in some ways because I was at my fittest, being my healthiest, doing my best. And it wasn't about what I was doing. It wasn't about what I was eating. It was how my body was reacting to what I was doing, how my body was able to cope with what I was doing. So no matter what, this was going to be my life now. Which sound, does sound a bit traumatic, you know, when you try to fight it and you've got no choice but to accept it now. Um, I had a bit of a spiral where that's concerned. But one of the things that you want to take into account is I had a friend that had the same conditions. So he was cystic fibrosis. He had diabetes before me. So he was sort of how I based my um, health on, if you will. And he actually passed away because of the conditions. So he's no longer with us. Um, he passed away before I was diagnosed. And he was only a year older than me. So when it happened, as you can imagine, I had the whole sort of, am I next? You know, is this thing going to take me now? Have I got a year? Oh, yeah. 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 You know, I, I had a massive mortality moment of, is this it? You know, have I, have I got a year left? Um, everyone was like, oh, well, you look after yourself better than most people. You're this, you're that. You know, you'll last a bit longer, you know, all those sorts of things. But then when I did the stupid thing, which <laughs> I did the very stupid thing, <laughs> I, I Googled mortality rates, um, which is a dangerous thing to do. Yeah, that's probably not a good idea. I do know. Like when, when you've got CF and your mortality rate is about 45, and then with diabetes, that goes down to about 24 to 26. Um, and I was like 22 or 23 at the time. Oh, yeah. So you're looking at that like you got you know, like, you know, a deer in the headlights of a truck. Yeah, I was very sort of, this is it. This was my, this Absolutely. was my, I, I had my hole punched, if you will. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Luckily, I'm 29 now. So there you go. I'm what's on, I'm what's known as borrowed time right now. But as you can imagine, back then, it hit me for a while. Um, I had dark moments. I didn't really want to go on anymore. Don't forget, this was at a point where I was doing really, really well. Cystic fibrosis wasn't even affecting me at that point. I, didn't, I felt better than normal, you know, better than average. I was fitter than nearly everyone that I knew on every other sort of level out there. I was stronger than average, faster than average, fitter than average. I, I had everything, you know. Yeah, I had the time to do it. I was very privileged in that way. But I also needed that. I, I designed my life that way. So I became a PT so that I could look after myself and help others at the same time. So I got the best of both worlds for long enough that I was actually very, very surprised when I got it combined with what's the point? You know, you work really hard. Yeah, I'm, I felt fitter than average, but when I do all my tests at the hospital, I'm like one or I'm between one and 5% above average for someone without my conditions, which sounds good, right? So I'm a bit better than average. But when you realize that I'm exercising every day, weights, cardio, stretching, diet, sleep, meditating, reading, walking, like my entire 
life was based on beating this thing. So you're doing all of that and you're only one and a half percent better yeah. than average. And then when, then when I was diagnosed diabetic, it was like, what's the point? You know, there's only so much I was prepared to do for that little bit of extra impact. You know, I mean, yeah, like, that makes sense. I can, I can see why you would feel that way. I mean, now looking back, I bet, well, it isn't really that because without what I was doing, I'd probably be about 80%, <laughs> 60%, 50%. Yeah. I'm probably really gaining like 40%, but because I got yeah, I there, do. I never got to that point. I was never that bad ever. The worst I would get was like 94% and the doctors would be like, what's wrong with you? So there was a real yeah. sense of, I had no idea how bad it could be because I'd built my life in a way that allowed me to do it. Now, once I, this was the big turning point for me because I had to re-engineer what I was doing because it felt like I wasn't getting the benefit. It felt like I wasn't getting the benefit out of anything I was doing, really. But also, there was a real life-defining moment as in, what would I do if I only had a few years left? That was starting to run through my head. Am I happy with what I'm doing? Am I fulfilled with it? I mean, I was, but then there was always that question of, well, what's next? What else is there? What are you not doing? What's, what's possible? You know, what's the, what's the next glass ceiling that you can break through? You've only got a few years left. You've got to make the most of it. That was what was going through my mind. And that caused me to do things like speak on stage for the first time, which was horrible. I won't lie. That was... That <laughs> outrageous i hated the whole experience first time round. third time round, it felt a bit more at home but first time round, it was horrific uh yeah first time out on a on a stage in front of any size group of people you're gonna need a fresh pair of shorts probably afterwards yeah, yeah, yeah. so so and then it, it all sort of spi sort of spiraled from there I mean, it took me a few months to be okay and accept the situation I was in. Um, massive lifestyle change after something that I already had the lifestyle change of. You know, that I, I sat there and thought, what else can I possibly do? What else is there? There is only so much that you can change before you're changing like very, very small things. And right. Where where do you stop? Because now are you changing? what you've already changed to change, to go to something else or, you know, are, or are you changing things just to change them? It had to feel like you're, you were kind of spinning your wheels at some yeah, point. Yeah. There's a combination of that. And is it worth making the changes for the very little improvements that I would get? Is it really worth the extra effort? Because it's not, it's not easy to begin with. Right. And if I've got to make things harder, it's like, what else is that? Like, what am I supposed to do? What else is there that I can do, you know? And then I've got, I was at a point where it was like, well, I've got to make a living as well. Like, I can't just stay in my parents until I'm like 70. Like, I've got to figure my life out at the same time. And that's the thing that people tend to miss is I'm doing all this while growing a personal training business, while growing a tennis coaching business. Then that was at a time when, social media was taking over. We were spending more time on our phones than not on our phones. 
and I was like, okay, I want to try this online thing. So I was running essentially two businesses and one sort of hobby business, if you will, while trying to manage everything else. You know, when people talk about the, the health side of things, I always have to bring that up because doing the fitness stuff and the health stuff, yeah, that's, that's challenging. It's not easy. You want to build your life around it. It is a lifestyle. Whenever anyone came to me and was like, I want to try to lose weight, it's not about moving more and eating less. It's about the lifestyle that allows you to do that. You know, if your lifestyle doesn't allow for that, it's going to be an uphill battle. If your lifestyle fits in very well with the methods that we pick, then it makes your life very easy. But when I had to do that and run businesses and grow this online business as well, that makes things very, very real for a lot of people. Because Oh, yeah. Yeah, because your time was completely consumed by all the work and things you were doing, and then plus trying to deal with health challenges on top of it. I'm yeah, sure. it's a very different ball game, and you've got to help people. Great. I loved it. Still, you know, I, I would happily go back to that. I don't do that anymore, but I'd happily go back to that if I, if I felt the need to. But because I had to focus more on myself, I felt like I had the responsibility to give at the same time. You know, it felt like I was taking quite a bit, if you will, by focusing on myself, that I felt this moral responsibility to start to give more and help more at the same time. You know, like when you realize that, yeah, you feel good when you help people, that's great. So it's secretly selfish to a certain extent, but then I'm going the other way and saying, like, I can't do that because I've got this to do. I can't have this coaching client at this time because I've got to go for a walk now or I've got to eat now. You know, when you're diabetic, everything's very regimented around food. Scheduled, sure, yeah. It, it, it's a bit crazy, to be fair. But, I mean, to this day, it's different. But back then, I was trying to find how on earth I was going to manage this thing. You know, I was, I was trying to find the balance, which when you're working and exercising and training and your, your blood sugar is being over sort of over indexed, if you will, because exercise yeah. lower your blood sugar, help you maintain your blood sugar. But then you've got to factor in, well, how much do I eat based on how hard I work? I, I go off a feeling almost of like, if I'm really tired, I should probably eat something. But how do I balance that out with I'm tired just because I've worked out today and I don't right. need to eat. So your blood sugar had to be on a bit of a roller coaster, always highs and lows because of the complexity of your lifestyle with how much you were working out, how much you were exercising, playing tennis, all these other things, and then, you know, dealing with the, with the CF and the, the diabetes at the same time. So it had to be all over the place. Yeah, I mean, there are ways that I was able to balance it out. Um, not all of it was healthy. Um, but there were things that you could do, you know, like you eat before and after your sessions, you eat before and after your workouts, like little portions rather than like bigger portions. You base your diet on what you're doing that day. So if I'm teaching an exercise class and then I'm training two clients and then I'm training myself, I eat before I actually do my own stuff. So I eat before I do the teaching the classes and then I would eat before I do my own workouts <clears throat> and have like water or something in between clients and so there's there's loads of different ways that you could do it but it was so 
thought out and so planned and so like thought out ahead of time where there was so much that went into it that it does consume your whole life it consumes everything there's only so far you can take it when you've got no choice this is your life now and it's the same with being a business owner or something along those lines if you want to be a successful person in business and you're not prepared to live a certain way you're not prepared to do certain things you know if you've got conditions if you will based on like if you want to be successful but you're not prepared to do all these things over here but if they get you to where you want to go but you're not prepared to do those things you're not going to get the results you know it's, it's not going to happen because you set limits on what you're prepared to do and I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't set limits because I was already pushing a few limits as it was. So I had to go even further and it just took over my life. Um, I couldn't manage it. I couldn't balance it. It was impossible. Um, I'd set myself a task of running two physically demanding businesses and being mentally switched on to build the online business slash, I called it the online thing at the time. It was like, it's not really a business. It's just an online thing that I'm doing. So it wasn't really serious or anything. Um, so yeah, right. it wasn't, wasn't straightforward. I had, to, I had to give up something. I had to phase out what I was doing offline physically to be able to manage everything. And after I burned out, which as you can imagine, that was going to happen eventually. Um, I oh, had- absolutely. Yeah, that many irons in the fire. It was... It was- in the making yeah. it just hadn't happened yet yeah i had to adjust i had to assess what was working what would give me the most amount of return on my investment i had to prioritize i had to I, when you have conversations with yourself around like work and clients and things and i'd sit there and go i'd rather sleep than, than go to work I, I i'd rather do nothing than teach these classes you know my my self-talk went from i'll do whatever it takes to i would rather rest than do this and that, that's when i knew that i'd gone over the the cliff if you will i knew that that, that was it it was only going to be a downward spiral from here and i had to get out before it impacted what i was doing you know if, if you don't want to do something you're gonna make it hard you're going to make it difficult you're going to Um, make it miserable for yourself and then you've lost all enjoyment not just that but for everybody else as well if you imagine teaching a if i imagine like teaching a a tennis coaching class and you don't want to be there it's going to show oh absolutely if you're not if you're not involved as the instructor you're not going to have involved students either and if you're not if you don't care they're not going to care no that's it and it was um it was at a stage whereby i didn't quite realize the emotional um, the emotional roller coaster that can come with being diabetic as well. Like it's not just a diet game; it, it, it's an emotional game as well. Um, and I didn't realize that. Obviously, I was like one or two years in. I was still trying to to balance this thing. Um, and yeah, it just got to a point where I, I was self-aware enough to notice it, and I had to adjust. I had to do a lot of 
a lot of productivity type stuff, you know, a lot of batching, prioritizing, timing, stopwatch, all that sort of stuff just to really get a grip on what I was doing and then shift everything. But the, the biggest shift that really happened was when all this happened, um, this was at a point where I'd spent so long trying to be normal, like seen as normal, you know, like not many PTs have health conditions, right? So I, I didn't want to come across as if I was any less than anybody else. So I, I did everything that I could, you know, I took medicines like in the toilets and I didn't try to show that I was tired. You know, you put the brave face on, right? And I did that for, well, forever. Um, until I started to get a bit of attention for the fact that I was a PT with lung con- with a lung condition and and diabetes as well, um, and my clients actually read it. So it was it was in a local magazine. They read it and they were, "Is this you?" Yeah, it's me. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and they started to sort of shift their own their own way of thinking, I guess. Like we turned around to me and said, like, I will come to you with all my problems, with all my little niggles about why I can't lose weight or I can't eat this or I can't do that. And you're living with these health conditions and I'm coming to you with this, like, oh, I can't eat it because I don't like it. Oh, my God. They started to (laughs) sort of, like, beat themselves up a little bit. And I was like, look, this is why I don't like doing it. You know, I'm, I'm fit and healthy compared to like everyone else's average, you know, and that I would rather do that than someone making my life easier because I've got the conditions, you know, like I don't want an easy ride, you know, if, if I do it, I want to do it properly. So with that, they were all like sort of, oh my God, I can't believe I'm coming to you with all my little problems and you're living, I've got no excuses anymore and I can't, you know, there was a real sense of that. And they started to work harder for one of the better expressions. So they got faster results, better results. They turned around to me and they said, once I just ignored like the excuses that I had, um, my results got so much better. And you should share your story because there'll be a lot of other people like us that will shut our own voices up. We will shut our own excuses up because of what you're doing. Like you don't have to do anything else. You don't have to teach us as such. Just you being the inspiration, you being the person that practices what they preach and pave the way for us, so to speak. That can do more for us than reading, <laughs> than reading a book which is something that I've wrote in the end. But at, at the time, there were sort of like, you just being you is enough to help people. Um, yeah, and many times I think that's something that we tend to understate is how powerful our own personal example can be in something, um, especially if we're, if we're walking the walk. If people see us, you know, if we're talking the talk rather, but if they see us walk the walk, that we're doing what we say and we say what we do, you know, um, I think that that has a lot of impact on people as far as being able to say, okay, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And if they can do that, then I can do this. And it gives people the courage and the, the strength, the ability to be able to move forward. Yeah. And that, that's one of the reasons why ultimately I wrote the book because there's so many people out there that don't think they can do something because they see someone do it so well 
if that makes sense. It almost puts them off. It's why like there are people out there that hate motivational sort of fitness models because they're giving them something they're never going to attain themselves. So it has the opposite effect, right? So you see these speakers doing amazing, you know, the tour in the world, they're speaking, someone that's just starting out, or maybe you've spoken a few times, but they're fearful of it. They're nervous. They don't want to do it. I had all those things and I still did it but I share like what goes through my mind, how I prepare for it, how I organize my week so that I could do it. Um, I had to take time off. I had to do a lot of stuff like building up to it. Um, there's a lot of self-talk in there. There's a lot of doing it afraid, basically having to convince myself, right? Convince myself that walking up the stairs onto the stage after my name was called out was a good idea. I had to tell myself to get on the stage. It wasn't as easy as Michael's McDonald's going onto the stage and I go, yeah, and I jump up on my seat and I run on the stage. That didn't happen. I was literally the, the quietest guy ever gradually walking up the stairs onto the stage, telling myself one foot in front of the other, Mike, you'll be okay. Just keep walking, keep breathing. Remember your lines. You can do this. That was what it was like. It wasn't bouncing around the stage. It wasn't giving everyone high fives as I walk on. It was none of that. It was one of the most frightening experiences that I've ever, ever done. And more than anything, I want that to be the, the permission, if you will, for everybody else to do it, for everybody else to give it a go. Everyone that wants to do it should do it but you're going to be scared. You're going to be afraid. You're going to not want to do it. You're going to have the lead legs. You're going to have the, oh my God, I've completely forgot what I was going to say. You're going to have the, all the negative self-talk and all the emotions are going to be flying around your head when you do it. The reason why I share all of that is so that someone else could read it and go, that's me. And he did it, so I'm going to do it. So there's an, there's an element of people can relate to it if they struggled with it. People can take bits and pieces that they were similar than. And I just want people to realize that it's normal. I just want people to realize that there are people out there that do freak out when they are doing certain things and they still do it. They bottle it up. They put the brave face on. They have all the coping strategies in the world before they actually do these things and they still do them. And that's been the difference for me is acting scared. That's been the big thing because when I went on stage, when I first started my podcast, when I had my first influencer interview, I still don't remember what I said on the interview because I don't like listening to my own voice. And Fair enough. The, the, yeah, there's just a lot of... There's a lot of things that a lot of people don't realize actually happens inside people's brains when we do things for the first time. So is that where the, the working title for the book came from, Introverts? Yeah, because I am, I am an introvert. Um, quite you, big... you hide it very well, honestly, uh, by the way, just <laughs> listening to you talk and and I realize that we're we're doing basically a an audio only discussion here, but um, most people who I talk to who are like my son's yeah. an introvert, 
and what you're doing, he would never do. Even if he thought it was going to help somebody else. Uh, he loves people of all kinds and he'll do anything he can for people. But uh, talking to them for this long, probably not going to Yeah, happen. I mean, my, mine's mostly practice. It's mostly habit. Um, one of the sort of phrases that came up when I first started feeling more comfortable in the situation was something that I think it was Jacko Willink that said that a lot of like army people and Navy SEALs, their heart rate drops when they're doing the thing because it's out of habit. It's a practiced thing. They run through the, the routines over and over and over again. They don't have to think about it, but they're nervous and anxious and they just want to do it on the build up to it. But when they're doing it, because they've gone through it, they've repeated it so many times that it actually is less nervous to do it than it is before they do it. And right. Yeah, they still feel all the anxiety and all those other things, but it's because of muscle memory takes over. It's something they've done with repetition. So it's it's just completing the repetition the next time. Exactly out. right. I mean, this is after like years of running my own podcast, years of doing like interviews and talks before that. So I've got like five years of, of doing this and I, I still I still choke up depending on who I'm talking to. I still struggle, you know? If I do like online events on video <clears throat> and let's say there's more than three or four people, I won't be the first person to talk. So I did one recently whereby there was me and there was three other people all on camera. You could see all of us. And it was, a, it was recorded. It was like an event for somebody. Um, I was asked to speak. And I said, yeah, I don't mind doing that. I still waited my turn. I, I didn't cut anybody off. I didn't just say what I wanted to say. I didn't sort of take control, if you will. I was still like the quiet guy in the virtual room if that makes sense. So when it's one-to-one, -one, when sort of all eyes are on me, so to speak, it's easier for me to do that than it is for me to be in a, a group of like four or five. So having- yeah, I get that, that makes sense. So, yeah, it's having the ability to realize that it is a skill to a certain extent. You know, I've, I've done a lot of different things that I've only ever done once. <laughs> I've only ever, only ever done it once. So like I was interviewed on um, a show for Sky. That probably won't happen again. And luckily I did that after I was on stage, meaning I knew that I was going to be nervous. So I, I, did, the, I did the practice, what I preach and the habits and the routines and the rituals that I did so that doing the TV interview wasn't as bad as being on stage. Because there's so many coaches out there and you know, mindset professionals, if you will, that don't practice what they preach in, in the most intense situations. Meaning, you know, everyone's got a plan until they're punched in the face. And it was easy for me to be stress-free, nice and relaxed, because once I been a PT or a tennis coach for a couple of years I never stretched myself there was no challenge there was no test there was no uncomfortableness if you will whereby I had
sit there yeah. and come up with, okay, I'm going to speak on stage now. That means I've got to put this meditation together. I've got to put this music playlist together. I've got to go for these nervous walks to get rid of my energy. I have to come with some breathing exercises that will help me sleep because I barely slept the night before. And it was all that sort of stuff I wouldn't have needed to do otherwise. So there's a difference between all the books that I'd read, all the podcasts that I'd listened to, all the courses that I'd been on. Yeah, they prepared me for it in terms of I had to put these things in place. But I'm not going to go out there and, and do all these things without a reason for it. But when you've got, like, speaking on stage, interview on TV, starting your podcast, winning awards, all this stuff, it forced me to practice what I preach. It forced me to do the things that allowed me to be the person that I needed to be to be able to meet the expectation of the situation that I was in. If you don't need to do all of those things, you won't. So I had to, like, step up my game, if you will, to be able to be who I needed to be, to be able to be in those situations. I wouldn't have got on stage otherwise. I wouldn't have even got to the event. I'd, I'd have booked right. on, which you can book on virtually. I'd have done all of the virtual stuff, just not turned up because I didn't want to. Sure. You know, I would, I'd kind of chickened out, sure. if you will. <laughs> well, practical application is always more beneficial than, I mean, you can have all the book knowledge in the world, but it's hard to turn that into practical knowledge until you've, you've applied it until you've actually gone out and done it. So that's your, you know, virtually getting punched in the face to, to refer back to your sentence there a moment ago, you know, until, until that happens, it's all just head. Exactly right. And you know, I mean, I, I get a lot of my like quotes and stuff from films that I watch. I can't remember who said it, but like saying something a thousand times is nothing compared to doing it once. And same as like you can read about something thousands of times, but if you're actually in it, experiencing it, that's so much better. You, know, you learn so much more about yourself. You have this sense of relief once you've done it. You know, I'm not a big fan of roller coasters, but the one that I went on, I had a massive sense of relief when I got off because I was freaking out until I got on there. Um, it wasn't catch, right. catch me on a roller coaster anymore. That I didn't really enjoy it. But it's the same sort of thing of nine times out of 10, it's not as bad as what it is inside my own head. But you don't know until you do it. Agreed. So yeah. Nothing that quite beats taking action. I get that. Lots of people say, oh, just do it. But at the end of the day, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that no one sees for that person to just do it. And that's the, that's the bit that a lot of people don't really share. A lot of people aren't as open about. And that's something that I wanted to change when I wrote the book. Okay. So you've dealt with cystic fibrosis. You've dealt with diabetes. You've dealt with being an introvert and all those things. So looking back over your life, and this is a question I like to ask a lot of my, well, not a lot, but every guest that comes on. When you look back over your life's experience, if you could sum up your experiences, uh, not to, to demean it down to one sentence or anything, but just to sum it up in one, ex- one sentence, what would you say the one sentence that defines you and your experiences? Acting scared is the only way to break your labels, your identity, and your expectations of yourself and other people. Okay, excellent. And so 
thinking about that and acting scared and, and trying to break those labels so that you can, uh, pardon the pun, but you know, the name of the show is Focused on Forward, so that you can become focused on moving forward in life. What piece of advice do you have for people who are trying to move past those things and, and trying to um, turn that head knowledge into practical application? The hardest thing to do is probably the most beneficial. And an example would be when you're in a bad situation to think positive. When trying to focus on the past doesn't work, you're focusing on the future. When your past is negative, your future might be negative. Training yourself to stay in the present moment is the next best thing. But it's the, it's the thing that you're convincing yourself that you can't do. You know, that when you're struggling and someone says, think positive, and you go, that's, that's never going to work. I'm, I'm in a bad situation right now. I've got to get used to the fact that I am in a bad situation right now. The last thing you want to do is probably the thing that's going to be the most beneficial. And... I've spent a long time dwelling on the negative things. I spent a long time forcing myself to think positive, even though it's bleak. And while it might not change the situation, it can change how you feel about the situation. The only thing that you can really control is you. And by doing those things, it's taught me to find the find the solutions to things or find the way of moving forwards even when it's just going to be doing more of the same even when the situation's never really going to get better you still just got things that you just have to do you just have to do these things you've got no choice you just have to do them yeah you do them instead of waiting for somebody to tell you that you should or could do them so moving out of necessity not out of permission yeah, I mean, it's easier said than done. As I said, it's not, it's not the thing that comes to mind when you're actually in the situation. You know, I have a lot of conversations with people and they're surprised or they're a little bit frustrated when I don't just tell them what to do because if you're not in the right frame of mind, you can't even accept or acknowledge or take on board the advice. Because if you're so focused on what's going wrong, and I say, okay, well, you need to try to shift onto something positive or just accept that you can't really change something that's already happened. It's not, it's not helpful. It can feel a bit robotic. It can feel a bit of a, a disconnect almost. You know, like if you don't dwell on something or you don't think about something and you try to just focus on the positive, to other people, that can feel a bit weird. Like, why are you not acknowledging this? Why are you not thinking about this? But the truth is, is that's, that's the difference. You know, you are in the minority when you do that. That's why there are people in the top 1% of like people, earners, happiness, you name it. You know, if you act like those people, you become those people. But unfortunately, you are going to be the outlier. You are going to be like the only one in the room doing this thing. And that you've also got to be okay with that as well. All right. Excellent. So 
now you said that your book you're hoping to have it out the first the week of November and hopefully so uh, we'll find out what the actual title is but as of right now it's entitled introverts into the spotlight um, where else can people find more information about Michael Bryan and all that he does and two you said you mentioned uh, you had a podcast so let's talk about that a little bit just real quick um, what's the name of your podcast what's your content so everybody listening they can hear it and, and know where to find you the podcast is the Ask Mike Show. So it's changed a bit over the years, but ultimately the Q&A format was how I was able to make sure that the show benefited people rather than just sort of me talking to people. I know it's beneficial, but in the back of my mind, I thought, what's one bigger? How can I one-up that? And answering people's questions was the was the answer so it's the ask mike show um, you can tune in wherever so from apple to google to amazon it's it's all over the place and that that's what it is i do interviews as well sometimes um, i've got in interviews with athletes and actors and singers and business owners and authors and a whole host of different types of people all right so a little bit of, a little bit of everything is on that excellent okay so the ask mike show very good and uh, well, Mike, uh, thank you very much for being on Focused on Forward today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you and we do appreciate you sharing your story and uh, we look forward to your book. Thanks very much. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us today for Focused on Forward. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcast FOF through our Facebook page named Focused On Forward or through email focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay Focused On Forward.